Football on Off the Ball. With Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk. Now then, you're welcome along to the football show. Latest from Sellers Park, Crystal Palace 2, Arsenal nil. 46 minutes on the clock. This is not good, Arsenal. This one of their two games in hand on Spurs. They are level on points and they will have to play, of course, before the season is done. But not ideal from Arsenal, especially with Spurs looking so good yesterday. Very happy to bring in Pat Nevin as ever on a Monday evening. Good evening. How are you doing? Very well. Watching any of this game this evening? Yeah, was watching it before. Um, probably surprised that most people are that uh, Palace are 2-0 up just now. But the first goal was very lucky, I think. Um, but really, that Palace ground, see when you play at Sellers Park, and it's no different from it's been for 30 or 40 years, I promise you. It's really small. Mm. So there's no space on the pitch whatsoever. So Arsenal want to get the ball down and play it, but they're getting squeezed all over the pitch and there's no chance you know, to develop their pretty patterns and you know, stretch the play really well organised but maybe uh, yeah, honestly uh, hands up see when you make a mistake hands up I'd, I had no idea he would do as well as he's done this year for uh, Crystal Palace I thought they would struggle uh, with all the changes that they made but looking at that team and they've got really important players missing uh, tonight and they just look absolutely fantastic just now they're in a great run and uh, as we look at just now they're in ninth position just now which if you'd have asked me to start the season, I'd have said, yeah, decent possibility to go down. Yeah, absolutely cruising. Well, you know, we chatted to Damon Delaney when Patrick Vieira was appointed because Damon Delaney would have played for Crystal Palace and knows Steve Parrish reasonably well. And he was talking about the Palace plan over the next few years. So in effect, they feel like their area of North London is underscouted and they want to become the behemoth. South in London, region. by the way. Yes, South London. And so they've built... Uh, or they're in the process of building world-class academy and uh, the plan with Vieira when they lost a number of players as well a lot of changes the plan was can we hang on for dear life you know let's just hang on for dear life in the Premier League and that would be absolutely great and then hopefully the uh, fruits of the academy start to come to fruition and we'll be up and running in a more sustainable way I would suspect they are also very pleasantly surprised at the job Vieira has done I think he surprised a lot of people myself included with the job he's done because the word from France when he arrived was uh, he tinkers a lot he can't seem to settle in a formation jury is very much out and that was basically uh, how he arrived into the Premier League so it's been really impressive and and again don't know how many people other than people just heard there was a big name and thought oh big name he'll be great but that means it doesn't mean nothing but it doesn't mean that much either because you could be Frank Lampard you could be Gerard, whatever you know it can go up and down it can go either way and it's always been the case for Tame Memorial, and he is a very big name. Mm. So, yeah, you get a little bit, but you won't get much time. You get three or four games, and then people start asking the questions. The thing is, it has looked really good. I think the point they're making it about the, the youth development and people coming through, to be fair, they've come through a lot quicker than a lot of people expected, some of the players, and they were very unfortunate with Eze. But they keep on finding new, these new players that do really, really well. Um, slightly surprised that when they, they took Edward, I thought that was a lot of money for a player who I think they could have used the money a wee bit better um, but he's done okay but I don't think he's going to be the long term answer but they've got plenty of players there that are well well capable and I do think that that, that pitch and that stadium mm. and those supporters underline those supporters, they're brilliant down there times I've been down there I was going to say this season but for the last 
seasons apart from the COVID time. The noise there is absolutely fantastic. And they never stop either. They never stop. Even when they're losing, in particular when they play, you know, at Sellers Park, but at the other grounds in London, they just don't stop. And it's a really brilliant thing to see. They don't actually sound like British support or English supporters. They, they sound like something brought in from another country. They are a joy to be with and what a lift to give the team. Um, and they're hyper excited tonight, obviously, and rightly so, because the managers have done a great job. They don't look technically inefficient at any point. Mm. And the technical players that they brought through have looked incredibly good. And, uh, and by the way, are going to get better as well. Yeah. No, it's been very impressive. And I agree on that ground. Even it comes through the, through the uh, television. 5th of May 2014 is a date I suspect Liverpool fans still uh, shed a tear over. Let's talk about the weekend then. Chelsea. This was very strange, considering they had won every game through March. Uh, upheaval all around them and they had still cruised through. Chelsea won Brighton 4, a first win over Chelsea since 1939. Three goals scored in uh, 10 minutes. They managed 17 shots. Uh, Brentford, I think I called them Brighton there. Brentford, 17 shots to Chelsea's 21. Chelsea had 71% possession and what's more, were ahead courtesy of Rudiger's amazing strike and uh, I don't know what what happened here because this is not what we've come to expect from Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea at all what happened I was unfortunately I watched it um, live as it was, it was as it was happening and actually they didn't play really badly hey. it's one of those ones you lose 4-1 at home and Chelsea actually didn't play badly as you say 70% possession but a number of things were happening there um, take nothing away for Brentford I'd been to see Brentford uh, playing against Burnley recently and it was, it was I told you before it was Thinking that game, it was absolutely awful. Probably mostly Burnley's fault. Um, but this time, everything went right tactically. They played in the Blake brilliantly well. They, they noted where Chelsea's uh, weaknesses were. So, and, and, and Ericsson was lovely to watch again, right? So, take that all on board and well done, right? But Chelsea, what's going on? Number one, they played a four at the back. They're not really good at that. <laughs> not good at that at all. So they play the four at the back, and there's going to be gaps opening up. If you do play four at the back, you're really good idea. Have a good sitting midfielder in front there. Didn't have one. It was uh, Ruben Loftus, Chica thing, and uh, uh, N'Golo Kante. Now, Kante at the moment has been pushed a little bit further on. So there were these massive gaps that they were able to run onto. And remember, if you've got four at the back and you're Chelsea, you're still asking your, your, your left back and your right back to f- fly forward. So there's there's going to be gaps there. It, why did Thomas Tuchel do it? Because um, this is a team that played with the three at the back and, you know, the wing backs, and they just look brilliant. They, they never lose goals. They very rarely lose goals. I think it was two things going on there. Uh, when I saw the team, I thought, right, check out for injuries. There's one or two. But more to the point, you're going to have to save some people for the Real Madrid game on Wednesday night, which is far more important. They've got a little bit of a, a gap between themselves, uh, Arsenal and Spurs, and they thought to themselves, look, let's have a little bit of a go at that. When Chelsea put their very, very best, either or possibly both, Jorginho uh, plays alongside Kovacic. And they utterly dominate games and they cover play- area as well. Neither of those two players playing. Uh, so you think, well, OK, they've definitely been rested. So he's changed the team. He's changed the formation. They've actually still not played that badly. Havertz actually could have had three goals in the second half. And the team Brentford played really well. It's just now and again it happens with Chelsea mm. and under Thomas Tuchel. I don't know if you remember last season, 5-2, West Brom. And you just go, what did that come from? For a team that weren't losing any goals at all. 
and it is one of the ones, I was writing a little piece about it, and uh, I was thinking, after the game, he said, look, don't panic. You know, it's one game. Chelsea are on a pretty good run just now. And you might think that sounds like I have a lot of excuses, but there's two ways of saying don't panic, right? There's ways of saying it like, um, you know, Clive Dunn used to say in uh, Dad's Army, don't panic, don't panic, which means you're panicking. Mm. And there's a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy way of saying it, like, don't panic, be cool, this will be fine. And I think it was a latter way, yeah. Chelsea. It's not a major concern. It certainly isn't a major concern. Yet. They have got a major concern coming, though. And it's having a look at the games left. Arsenal, I think it's eight games left uh, after tonight. Spurs, eight games left after tonight. They've got a few points to make up. Chelsea, minimum 12, probably more games left. All stuck together. Um, that's going to be hard for them because they are carrying a few injuries just now. So... It's not beyond the bounds of possibility that Chelsea won't make it to that top four, but I still think they're favourites to be one of those four. Okay, and he played four three three as well against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. You don't think in any way he's working towards that ultimately, do you? He might be, but I, I honestly think Thomas Tuchel's favourite situation to get in is a three five three five two. That's what he wants to play. What that gives him is two centre forwards instead of one, who you're completely and utterly dependent on. At the moment, it's Kai Havertz, and he's done a good job. Um, they tried it with Lukaku, it's not working. But they need somebody up alongside them that can do that job. Now, Werner, in and out. Pulisic, in and out. Um, but if you get the 3-5-2, the you get three centre-backs are great. The wing-backs, when they're fully fit, particularly, you know, when they get Chilwell back and they get Rhys James, that's fine. See if you get midfield, and they did this against Real Madrid last season, and that'll be on his mind as well. Last season, they played the three midfielders central there um, so if it is say uh, definitely Kovacic definitely Jorginho and either Mount or County, you know three of those four get them in a midfield very few teams in the world will get near them very very few teams in the world will do that okay. um, but they're not going to do that in the game against Brentford because they're resting those players he knows where he's press battered he knows where the importance is he needs to try and do Real Madrid again so don't be surprised if you're tunneling your box on Wednesday night and there's three players in that central midfield area and three of those four players that I mentioned. OK, very good. Meanwhile, Brentford, 33 points on the board now. They're 11 clear of Watford, so you would think they should be OK, which is a great achievement. And the Christian Eriksen effect has been clear for all to see. He's made a phenomenal difference. I had feared when he returned that he would be diminished somehow, even potentially physically diminished. And yet it was a joy to watch him sprint the length of the pitch in that breakaway move which resulted in his goal and and look physically powerful and fit and, and confident in himself to make those kind of runs so it's wonderful I mean and, and he's just such a quality operator as well he's a joy to watch one of those guys like um, I think Luka Modric was probably watching that game thinking alright that's how you do Chelsea <laughs> because they're, they're not exactly similar players but there's, a, there's lots of Modric and uh, Eriksen himself but Eriksen's He's, he's got more power and he's running. He's got more his physical prowess is better now. Modric is really getting on a bit now, although still a fantastic player. But you look at him now, and he is one of those players. Although he has shown that incredible energy and he's managed to get it back, and he actually, you're almost getting to the stage of actually not worried about him anymore. He looks that good. It was an incredibly unusual thing that happened to him. He's got the pacemaker in there. He's got the heart restart restarter in there. So. It's almost certainly, pro I would say he's probably as safe as any other player that's playing. You know, everyone's in danger at some point because of, you know, 
things like arrhythmias and cardiomyopathies, they, they are there for everybody, um, whether you're a football player, but it particularly hits young athletic men, that problem. Um, but if you look at him, do you know when he slows down a bit? He'll still be all right. He'll still be fine because he'll still be able to use his intelligence in the game um, and that able ability to you know, arrive at the right times, play passes in dangerous area. And one of the things about Christian Eriksen is worth underlining. He absolutely tortured Chelsea for a period of time when he was playing for Spurs. He loved playing against. He used to destroy them all the time. Nobody else seemed to be able to do it for periods. And Christian Eriksen would walk on. So it's just brilliant to see a him back. B no one's going soft on him now. He wouldn't want it. Mm. He's just another brilliant player now. And uh, I heard Thomas Frank speaking earlier on, and he was saying that um, Christian, he's not Ronaldo and he's not Messi. But the group just below that, he's in there. And, and I think there's a good shout for that. Yeah. There's a right good argument that he's in that group below that. And that group below that may be seven, eight, nine players, whatever. And he's definitely there. Mm. Hanging on to him might be the problem. And playing for Brentford. I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the whole league, well, the whole world of football in many respects has been counting down to this game on Sunday coming for a long time now. From a 14-point gap in January... Now, admittedly, Liverpool had two games in hand at that stage. But nonetheless, a 14-point gap in January. To be here first week in April and there's a single point in And this is decisive, it feels like, is, is quite extraordinary. So both Liverpool and Man City won over the weekend against Watford and Burnley, respectively. They both have Champions League games to come. Liverpool play Benfica, City have Atletico. And then there is this behemoth of a game. In terms of its importance and in terms of how it's going to sway things, is your sense that if City certainly win or even draw, they're most likely to win the league? And if Liverpool win, they're most likely to win the league? Is it, In your mind, is it to that extent pretty much a decider? I, I'd, I'd love to think it was that way and it, and it will certainly be built up that way. But you've just explained it perfectly there. The gap was so huge before. You try and make that sort of prediction and you'll get egg in your face. There's no doubt about it. But I would say one thing. To win the league this season, someone's going to get, have to get well over 90 points, you know, 92, 93, 94 points. Um, and that's a hard gig because that means dropping very, very few in these last eight games. Um, there's 24 points, I think, on, on, on offer. So you're, you're talking dropping a handful of points between now and the end of the season. So if you're either team, you do not want to drop points in this one. But A, it's that, and B, you have to keep on going. And the thing about Manchester City and Liverpool, um, Chelsea to a lesser extent, it's secondary to all the others, but they've got all those games as well to play. You know, they've got the Champions League. You expect them to go ahead in it. They're going to be stressed all the way through it. Um, who's got the deeper squad? For year after year after year, we've said, oh, it's Man City, don't worry. But you don't say that anymore because there is a little bit better now. And a good bit better. Jota's been a big, big part of that as well. Um, calling it just now, I don't think anyone can. Calling it after a game, I still think it's it's tricky. If whoever wins a game is tiny favourites yeah. to win the league, but no more than that. City's running is definitely the more favourable. They will have Brighton, Watford, Newcastle and Villa at home. So you would think maximum points there. And then there'll be a way to Leeds, West Ham, Wolves. West Ham could be tricky on a given day but again really favourable as for Liverpool they'll have Manchester United at Anfield they will have Everton they will have Spurs 
who will come on to, but Spurs are now a trickier proposition than they were a couple of months ago. And they'll have Wolves as well at Anfield. And then on the road, they're at Newcastle, Southampton, Aston Villa. So the away games aren't as uh, scary, for instance, if scary is the right word to use around Liverpool. Who's in better form, by the way, do you think, ahead of Sunday, Liverpool or City? Honestly, I think it's hard. I, I wouldn't call it between the two of them. I honestly think both of them are they're so capable of a playing brilliantly one week and next week playing averagely and grinding it out. And the times that I went to see Liverpool this season, which has been I've seen Liverpool in the flesh quite a few times more than I've seen Manchester City in the flesh. But most of the time, you think, yeah, you're going to get there. You're probably going to do it. You're probably. Going to, it doesn't matter if you're not playing that well. You will eventually crowd that box, that area. You will have quality coming in from the wide areas so often. And you've got natural finishers there. There's just been enough. It's always felt that there's been enough. Very, very rarely do you think, well, 20 minutes to go, you might not get it. Mm. You just think, yeah, you probably will. Um, and with City as well. You just, you know, is it going to be Foden? Is it going to be any number? Is it going to be Gundogan? Is it going to, well, just, there's probably eight players that you can mention. And every single one of was capable of it. And that's why I say, as uh, it's 24 points, that would make Man City, they, they could, they've they got a maximum of 97 to get, and Liverpool have got a maximum of 96. And I still think you need, you need to be in the 90s to win this this competition this season. That's how good they are. Yeah. There are very few points that are going to be dropped between now and then. So, yeah, it's important, but it's not over. They've set a remarkable standard. I was listening to Gary Neville talking on the overlap and he was recalling the treble season of 99. And what he said was, at this stage of the season, March, April on, it's really hard to be in good form, quote unquote, or to be in shiny form. Because you, there's a degree of, well, we're just getting it done. There's another cup final. We'll exert ourselves as much as we need to. Like it's, You're beyond the showboating that might have gone on in August almost. I think we're seeing that at times with Liverpool and, and City. There is a degree of how much how much of our energy, how much of our emotional intensity do we have to use here to beat Watford today? We're not going to use more than that because why would we? I, I do sense that air from them. Yes, there is that air. And also on top of that, if you can get rid of any of the Champions League games in the first leg, if you can kind of wrap it up, you know, you're not going to win three, four, five nils maybe. But if you can say, right, actually, that job's just about done and you can have a set level of not exactly cruising but using other players, it makes a gigantic difference at this time in the season. So they keep the, the energies because the games are so, so tightly bunched together now. And yeah, the other thing is you watch those two teams and because they've got the match intelligence, get the job done, it will be a grind now and again. But the other thing is, once you've got the job done, learn how to control it. Mm. Learn how to see it again for 25, 30 minutes. And again, it's phrases that have been used in time, in, for time immemorial. It's just harder to do it now because there's lots of teams coming out chasing and battling and closing you down and, and making it more difficult. I would say in that area, I would say Manchester City have got a bit of an edge. Mm. They can just pass teams out of existence and just keep it and keep it and keep it. And they, they, get, they get sickened a wee bit. You've, we've all seen it before, particularly the Etihad. You go a couple of goals up. They know if they come out, they probably get picked up, picked off, and they try to, and they do. But then they almost, they almost give up. I'm, I'm not seeing that so much against Liverpool. I mean, people look at the defence and think, yeah, we might be able to get to them. And even the game at the weekend there, I mean, Liverpool, yeah, they win the game. But you look at the chances that they gave, gave up during that game that absolutely should have been taken. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not sure that's happening quite as much in Manchester City. So I'm still looking at thinking, as, as we speak, it's Man City. Um, I'd still put them as uh, the favourites to win it. But it's, it's, it's very, very little in it. And if Liverpool win at the weekend, I think that makes them tiny slight favourites over them. Um, but more than that, I definitely wouldn't say it. It's not all over. No. There's very little new to say about either side at this stage of the season, but at the weekend, Joe Gomez reminded everybody of his quality, really. So he's playing it right back. I mean, and made his uh, foray, really, as a centre-half in particular, alongside Van Dijk. Hasn't been able to get back in ahead of Matip or Kanate, and he's just had the most horrific look with injury. This was just his second Premier League start. He'd played against Norwich as well. And we're presuming Alexander-Arnold comes back in for the Benfica game and certainly the City game. But, geez, talk about quality of delivery for the Diogo Jota goal and a few other moments as well. I didn't actually, I wasn't as aware he had that in his locker to boot. So, I mean, this guy's too good to be a Liverpool bench player, I think. Yeah, and it's another one of those things, you know, when do you come into your very best, particularly I often say it as a centre-back, but the adaptability, if you've got that adaptability, now, you don't need to do it that much at Liverpool because they're a very set system the vast majority of the time. Um, but now and again, they will have to adapt that. They will have to change that. Um, and, and if you're a player and you're not going to get a game at centre-back, you need to find something else. There's very few opportunities there because, you know, it's usually an incredibly, you know, sorted out Alexander-Arnold will be right fullback. But that ball in there, I'll be honest with you, right, I was watching the highlights and I kind of took my eye off it for a minute and I seen the ball coming in. I thought... Oh, typical Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> no, it's not. What? Yeah. <laughs> well, it did, didn't it? It looked yeah. exactly like him. And I, I watched it a second time and realised it wasn't him, uh, which was the second time it happened in a game I was covering at the weekend, actually. It happened uh, in the commentary of the Celtic Rangers, or the Rangers-Celtic game that I was covering. And uh, very difficult to see the difference between a couple of players there who looked very, very similar um, for the first goal, for Celtic's first goal. Um, but it, it, if you don't keep an eye on it, you know, that he has got the qualities. Now, I don't think you can pay a bigger compliment than that, that he has got the qualities. You know, and Alexander-Arnold, he, he is one of those players where you think, oh, he's absolutely world-class going forward. I'm not sure what, about him defensively because he's not that often caught out one-on-one individually. When he is caught, it's because he's overlapping, and I'm going to say too far, but he's overlapping to exactly where the man just told him to go, actually getting done one-on-ones, you just hardly ever actually see that that existing on the pitch. Um, but maybe that's something to look at, thinking, well, if you're bringing in you know, somebody else who isn't going forward quite as much, maybe that gives you a wee bit more cover at the back sometimes. And certainly it's, it's very, very good to have Gomez now. Hmm. Just uh, glancing at Sellers Park here, Crystal Palace 3, Arsenal nil. 69 minutes on the clock. Actually, it was a replay. I hadn't seen the goal originally. It was a replay. Oh, it's all right. Good, there, yeah, we, hey. there we go. Is it, every Chelsea fan going, yes, get <laughs> in Because that's not been, they have been fantastic. But it's, again, it's, you, you cannot count anything in this game, in, in the Premier League just now. Yeah. Too many teams, like, there's certain teams that will fight their way out of it. And Brentford have done a real good job of doing that. But there's other teams uh, that, you know, once they actually feel as if they're safe and Palace where I think it's this, 37 points, I think they are. They're safe. They're not going down, right? They're, yeah. they're well safe just now. You know, I think possibly even mathematically. When that happens, the shackles are off. 
go and enjoy yourself. Yeah. And that's a team that's got enough players to go out and enjoy themselves. And they're, they're a dangerous beast when they do that. No, they sure are. They were uh, substituting John Philippe Mateta, so they showed his goal again. That's what was uh, going on there. Because then it cut to him walking in the sideline. I thought, he's not really celebrating. And that's when I realised, <laughs> ah. Told you, it's like we should be doing the commentaries at some of the games. If you look away for a second, you, uh, you, you can get a player uh, wrong. Um, and as I say, I was doing the Rangers Celtic game and I did look away mm. a couple of times for a second. And that is just, just unacceptable in a Celtic Rangers game. Do not look away for a second. Well, I do want to talk to you about that game. We're going to take a very short break. I'm going to talk to you about that game, a little bit about Spurs. And then there's not much new to say about Manchester United, but they were truly abysmal in many ways in their draw against Leicester. We'll take a short break. Our football coverage is brought to you by Sky. You can watch every UEFA Champions League and Europa League match live on BT Sport this season. We're back with Pat Nevin in just one moment. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk. Welcome back. 72 minutes in the clock. Crystal Palace 2, Arsenal 0. Meanwhile, in the League of Ireland Premier Division, UCD at home to Derry City are 2-0 down. 86 minutes on the clock there. Meanwhile, Finn Harps 2, Drada United 1 is the latest after 71 minutes. Pat Nevin is still with us. Pat, you mentioned you were covering the game at Ibrox over the weekend. Celtic 2-1 winners. They are six points clear with six games left in the season. So you would think... Uh, huge favourites to go on and uh, win the title. The game overshadowed somewhat because Rangers fans threw glass and bottles onto the pitch. Reportedly hit one member of the Celtic backroom team. Stewards uh, were cleaning the debris and there was a delay in the game. Coins and glass picked up off the pitch. And according to a Celtic statement, the backroom member of staff had to have stitches, which is really awful. Uh, Giovanni van Bronckhorst didn't go overly strong on the situation he said it's not what you want Chris Sutton felt a bit freer he said absolute scumbags Uh, Police Scotland are involved in the situation so it's pretty grim obviously and I don't know what your sense of it was watching was it a big delay and and was it obvious that somebody had been hit Um, no that wasn't but what was obvious was uh, the broken bottle that was thrown on um, and it was thrown on uh, just at some point during halftime break, so when Joe Hart went into his goal, there was the smashed bottle pieces all over um, the front of his goal. And it's kind of weird because your first thought is, and I'm sure a lot of people have said, if you throw a bottle on to a grass pitch, it doesn't generally splinter. It doesn't, it just bump bounces. But this thing was like smashed and you think, what? And there's this, I don't know, and I'm just wondering, see if you've actually smashed the bottle first and then throwing it on, that, that's beyond, that's just off the scale moronic to do something like that. I mean, it's moronic enough as it is, but that's off the scale to do that. What was upsetting was actually watching during the first half, and it was happening all the time, not with bottles, but with lighters and coins and things like that, where we're throwing at the Celtic um, players all the way through it. Now, there were, I think, 700 Celtic fans in, which uh, hasn't been the case for quite some time. It's just like been... Celtic Park, it's all Celtic, Ibrox, it's all Rangers. Um, and you just look at it and you think, honestly, can we never get away from this? Can we never get beyond it? And the acceptability, if it's one, you say, right, okay, it's one idiot. And we all go into that, and I fall into that trap as well. It's one idiot. But we now see it just a wee bit too often. It's happening in English games, um, not quite to the same level. At that game, it was happening a hell of a lot. And remember, this is an early kickoff. It's not as if everybody should be tanked up before this game. 
you know, they if they've been drinking Buckfast all the way through that, and there was somebody showed a picture of lots of Buckfast bottles that had allegedly been collected after the game, and I say allegedly, I don't know. Um, and it's unthinkable that everybody would be absolutely out of their heads by that point in time. There will be a few complete idiots. But the concept, if... So there's three possibilities with that bottle, that specific one that was right in front of his where he was diving, right? And by the way, where the Rangers players would be sliding in trying to score a goal, right? The thought of a huge, big bot, bottom of a bottle all jagged, you're kneeing it, that, you're legging it, a bit career-ender if you're unlucky. Career, absolute career-ender. But if A, you just threw it on, it's bad enough. B, threw it on and maybe it smashed off the crossbar and then sprinkled your possibility of that, right? So they don't say chance. But C, see if you've come in and then smashed this bottle up then thrown it on at halftime. Honestly, what what world do we live in? We just absolutely give up. But the concept that so many people, um, and I'm, I'm not saying it was hundreds, but there was enough people that when uh, there was one occasion when Jota went over to take a... A corner kick, and it was just raining down. You know, just thought, oh, is what, what century are we in here? Yeah. It was horrible, absolutely horrible to see. Um, certainly, the Scottish government have been as hard as Chris Sutton. On <laughs> They've been very, very hard on it. They don't take kindly like that sort of stuff as well. Um, but I, I, what do you do? You can't cage them in. Do you, do you stop a section? You, you, you make sure there's like the first 10 seats are absolutely free so you can't throw things. Do you get a ring of, you know, stewards or policemen? Because I remember the days, many days gone by, where you'd have a ring of policemen around the ground. The whole way around the pitch, you'd have a ring of policemen just looking up. Um, do you have to go back to that sort of stuff again? Because the, the concept that it's acceptable to throw things on um, is just not on. But when it's bottles and things like that, it's just, it was very, very upsetting. Because I enjoyed the game, by the way. Yeah. Um, also think Rangers did really well. Played really well in the second half. Um, Celtic fought defensively better than I actually thought they were capable of doing. Um, and you just got to applaud Celtic for having an amazing season, considering where they came from last season and what Ange Postacoglu's done. Not just by the fact that he's, you know, he turned the team around, but his recruitment has been absolutely oh, frightening. Brilliant. Yeah. Unbelievable. So tell me this uh, Premier League chairman gives you a ring and says, I'm thinking of Postacoglu. Yeah or nay? No, it will happen. I'm pretty sure it will happen. He's, he's just been successful everywhere. Australia, then on to Japan, um, and then you watch him do it in Scotland with a team that he had to change so quickly mid-season. Remember, he came in right at the end. He wasn't going to be the first choice uh, Celtic manager. It looked as if it was Eddie Howe. Hmm. Um, to do that so quickly, to have such knowledge and to maximise the potential of just about every single player there. Now, there is a weakness. There's a very glaring weakness in the team at the moment. They play at this incredible pace, that's high energy, high octane stuff, very skillful as well, very attack minded. And then they blow up with 20 minutes to go very regularly. It's whether they can keep on doing that and actually build that strength into the squad. The one thing they have got, they made five changes uh, against Rangers in the second half. And what was really unusual for any Scottish team was not one of those changes made them weaker. Not one. Not even, mm. not a thought of it. And these were important players that were going off. But it didn't make them weaker. So the strength yeah. and depth he's managed to build in it as well. The whole, the whole structure and balance of the things great. Mm. And as I understand it, so correct me if I'm wrong, he's unearthed a few diamonds from the part of the world where he had been working. So he would have had a knowledge there and an advantage there and other teams in British football. 
So is there anything to be said about the style of football he's, he's played? Because obviously you can't magic up these brilliant transfer coups forever. Yeah, it's a good point. He's he's looked at J League. He's got Kyogo, who's, who's who's the real star, and what hasn't been available for weeks and weeks and weeks yeah, because of a hamstring injury. Uh, but he's the, the absolute star, and the one <laughs> I can remember telling you the day after his first game, boy, watch this kid. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. But, uh, you stick Hatate, Maeda, um, so there's a, a good few that he's brought in. Got the best of Giacomacus, which is. Maybe not that difficult to see because he was a goal scorer over in the, in in Europe for quite a long time. But yeah, it's a wee bit, it's a big bit harder to be able to do that uh, in England. But if you get one of the better teams at the higher end of the the Premier League, which I, I don't think is beyond the bounds of possibility, just because of the way he comports himself, it's pretty special. It's pretty fantastic. He's 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 never spooked. He's never affected. He's just so grounded. And it keeps everybody around him so grounded as well. You look at how, you know, how flaky some managers, even the top ones get, you know, you, you could be Jose Mourinho and he has his flaky times. You just almost can't see Postacoglu doing that unless something very unfair happens. But generally, he's, he's absolutely extraordinary. So if you're a Premier League manager and you think, well, OK, we'll just uh, multiply that budget you've had at Celtic by 10 mm. and uh, see if you can do the same sort of thing. I don't think there's there's many out there because Brendan Rodgers came down and done perfectly well, and others have come down and done you know reasonably well after a period of time like Moyes etc. in the past. But you're looking at him now and thinking, I can't see why he wouldn't do it. He's not done Champions League. Um, I grant you that. He's not done any of the top leagues in Europe. He's not done Spain. He's not done Italy. He's not done uh, England. If he doesn't go to England, eventually in, in time. Certainly, one of the, a Spanish club of a of a high repute will take a chance on him, um, and that may be his link in. But I, I honestly, I think he's a. I like him. Mm. <laughs> I like a brilliant guy, uh, but b. He's getting the best out of people, and I don't know if you can do much better than get the best out of people. Yeah, very impressive. Meanwhile, at Sellers Park Palace, three Arsenal nil for sure. Zaha scored a you penalty can, there, so yeah, you can see into the future. I always thought you could. <laughs> So 3-0 there, 82 minutes. I mean, that's a very impressive Crystal Palace performance. Back on the Premier League for a moment. About the best thing you can say about Manchester United's season is that there are only eight games left because this was just more of the really insipid, aimless stuff at the weekend. A one-all draw with Leicester. Marcus Rashford's got to be wondering what's going on. Ronaldo to pull out the morning of the game. There were literally no other striker, strikers available. And Rangnick said, yeah, I know you're going to stay on the bench. And he went with the same front six that didn't work against Man City. And afterwards he said, Marcus Rashford's going to have to take steps himself to rehabilitate his career. So there's a lot going on there with Rashford. I think Rang- we talked about that before. Yeah. I remember telling you a while back, watching him at the this Crystal Palace game, down again at Selhurst Park, and watching him and really saying to you there's something wrong with him yeah I don't know and I didn't think it was injury either um, something mentally something's affecting him very very badly he is not the the person he was before uh, I can't tell you what that is I have no idea what it was but something has to change for him and whether it's a change of scenery a change of manager a change of whatever but something's got to change mm. it's very sad almost at this stage given the fanfare with which he arrived Ralph Rangnick, by the way, in his role as consultant, I suppose, as uh, more so than a uh, very average manager at the moment, uh, also reported to Manchester United 
that it's going to take them three transfer windows to solve the problem, which seemed incredibly optimistic to me, unless he's talking just summer transfer windows, in which case, yeah, maybe by 2025, the place won't be a mess. Probably ought to get Ange Postacoglu in for the manager's job. (laughs) He can do it much, much quicker. Yeah. Um, It's very hard to do because you can move out players um, at certain clubs, um, purely for financial you know, ways that you can do it that, because it's not going to absolutely hammer you. The idea of some of the players that he would have to move on, not recoup anywhere near the transfer monies, and also realise that are they going to get that sort of money that they run elsewhere? And then you have to recoup some of their payments before they budge. And that's, that's why you're talking that amount of transfer windows because you almost have to let them run down. Um, because if you don't let them run down, you're paying them to leave. And that's unthinkable. Well, particularly for the owners of that particular club, I can't imagine them doing that. Knowing that there's enough, well, I don't know if there's enough, but knowing that there are plenty of very, very capable players at that team, but they're absolutely not getting the best out of them. And again, it's back to that thing of maximising the, the potential of every player that you've got in your books and finding out if, A, you can do that, and if you can't do that, how quick can you move them out? Um, it, it does look like that's not a group that's going to trouble the, the top echelons of the Premier League and or indeed the, the Champions League for quite some time. So do you keep on tinkering or do you say, no, nope, let's do it better? Over a, a period of a year and a half, two years, you, you completely change it. But when did they give a manager that amount of time? Now, I'm not just talking Man United here, I'm talking generally. Most managers they just don't get that amount of time. You will ha- Whoever you bring in, you will have to, and halfway through this sentence, I want to stop, but I'm going to say it anyway. You're going to have to trust somebody for a for a couple of years, even when it goes badly. Good luck with that, because nobody does. No, well, that's why they have to hire somebody with a track record, because during the Solskjaer era, you were saying, well, we trust you, but then there was nothing really to rely upon when things weren't going well to give you a sense of security. So they'll have to hire, I mean, well, it's Ten Hag, it seems to be, at the moment, who's in pole position. I just can't get over how bad they are. Like, really, just watching them. And they don't have a clue what they're trying to do as a group. And that's almost something you couldn't say about the other 19 teams in the league. I think they are the worst prepared. And it's hard to know where Rangnick starts and the players begin on that. But they they look to be like the worst prepared team in the league in terms of some kind of methodology. It's just a lot of them are very, very good players. So, you know, they get away with it a little bit. But it's it's kind of incredible how it's unravelled this season. They're so bad. It's... The word that was the buzzword quite some time ago was identity. You know, what is the identity of this Manchester United team? What are they? What do they do? What's their USP? Um, and you can say that about just about any other team. And you're right. You, you absolutely cannot say about them just now. now. To be fair, if I'm Ralph Rangnick and I come in and I'm, I know what I want, and then I try and get them to do it, and then they either A, won't, or B, can't do what he needs, He's kind of stuffed then because he's had his methodology for quite some time and he wants to impose that on them. And they're not having it. (laughs) Absolutely not having it. You can see it. As a group, they're not having it. And again, get back to the first conversation we had right at the start of the season when, you know, Ronaldo comes in and I'm scratching my chin and going, I'm not seeing that, you know. And and I know I I often see these things. I wait for the, the Twitter mob to have a dig at me and then, then I stopped laughing five minutes later. Um, you know, people like, you know, Lukaku coming into Chelsea, and I'm going, what? I, c- I can't see that. And Ronaldo, 
yeah, fantastic. And that's a real buzz. And that will sell a few shots. And yes, he'll score a few goals. But Ronaldo, where he is just now, how he plays, you better have so many young players around him playing at that tempo that he can't play at. And if you don't have that, good luck, mate. Mm. Um, and, and again, I'm not aiming it at Ronaldo because you could aim it at Pogba, you could aim at anyone uh, in that team that that are not willing or able to do what Rangy absolutely thinks they need to do because yeah. you consider you know, the, the energy levels with, with a Manchester City or a Liverpool and it's it's not even close to comparable, is it? No. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, we couldn't possibly have Antonio Conte manage Manchester United Brigade are looking on as he finally gets to grips with Spurs as a brilliant manager is invariably going to do. Uh, 5-1 winners against Newcastle. He's got his charging wing backs. Matt Doherty, thankfully, back in the fold from an Irish point of view, back playing very well. Harry Kane is world-class once again. They've beefed up their midfield. Bentancourt and then uh, Dejan Kulusevski is increasingly looking very good as well for a 21, 22-year-old. Conte, who for the first few months of his tenure was saying pretty negative things, has now conceded this weekend, Pat. Yeah, we're pretty hard to beat right now, which is ominous. There is such, uh, you know, in opposition to what we've just said about Old Trafford, there's such a clarity about what they're doing now. Yeah, um, again, it's one of those ones where he comes into that club and he will not, just his personality, he will not care. Don't care who you are. Don't care what your name is. If you're not doing it the way I want to do it, you will not play for this club and you're out. You'll be sitting over there somewhere. Um, and he, it's just that force of personality that he's got and, and strength, strength of personality that he's got that he will get that uh, from every single player. And he's, he started to do it again. I, I have to say, Kulazewski, <laughs> seriously, what a player. Yeah. Um, looking at what they had you know, going forward, you know, Bergwijn as well as Son and, and Kane, and you think, can you make that much better? And then you look at him and you think, wow, that's 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 something else again that might make them an even better sort of unit going forward. And consider the amount of goals that Son and Kane work for each other. You're going to add that into the mix. And uh, certainly, the, the the was it the first goal they scored? Doherty, the first goal, I'm trying to remember. Uh, second, uh, I think. Second one, crossed from one full-back to the other full-back, or wing-back to the other wing-back. Dream, dream scenarios, you know. <laughs> and then Davis, another one that full-backs or centre-backs, he goes and scores a goal as well. So, But that's the dream scenario. With, his, with the players, with the managers that play that system, with three at the back, with wing-backs, be it five in the middle or four in the middle, see when one full-back or wing-back crosses it to the other, they score, honestly, they're just a, a faint in ecstasy because that is the, hmm. the epitome of what their team is supposed to be about. Getting those players coming into areas where you can't really mark them from. Um, so he's, 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 he, they've all done it exactly the way they wanted to do it. Benton Kerr, as you say, fitted in so well because you know he knows exactly what he needed in there, um, and it's it's great to see him. I'm doing that. I'm really really happy for him because you know he's, he is one of those managers you think he'll do a year or two there and he's going to fall out with people, and he does because he's so passionate about it. Um, but I, mean, I definitely always felt that um, Mourinho wasn't a good fit. Oddly enough, he doesn't look like a good fit, but in a way he is. And absolutely in a way he is, because his absolute brutal honesty is something that Levy will react to. Yeah. Absolutely react to well. Um, and it's a weirdly good fit them to. Yeah. Again, on the United front, it seemed like the best reason not to hire him was like, oh, but he's not going to be here for 10 years. <laughs> he's no, just going to be here for two years and like dramatically improve everything. 
the thing is, if you if if you've been you know the owners of club and you've had to deal with someone like Mourinho or others that have been there and they've got I mean, obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't moan, but others that are grumpy when you leave and there's uh, some mud being slung, and you look across at Antonio Conte who won't hold back and is invective when he wants to. Yeah, you're right. That, that will affect them. They're human beings. It does affect them. Um, but I don't think there's much doubt in many people's mind. They blew it. Mm. They missed Conte. Mm. It was the right one for them. They needed a massive, massive change. And, and, and they, they missed a chance. The, the, that boat sailed. And you can't imagine it changing. I'd, with Conte having that, what he's got there, he must look at uh, United and think, that's a job. Yeah. And are they going to give me the time to do it? highly unlikely so I think that's another book that's going for them but no, no, I'm really happy I mean anytime I'm fortunate enough to meet Conte oddly enough I've seen his light side and um, I was having because obviously if you're not one of his players he's different with you and it was a lot of fun but he's got them eyes yeah he's, he has got them eyes honestly Saturday he just, yeah. <laughs> just you go right I'll stop now yeah. <laughs> but he's brilliant at that he's uh and yeah, he, he can affect anyone, anyone like that. Yeah, I can imagine. I might talk to you a bit more about him at some stage in the future, but we are out of time. So Pat Nevin, as ever on a Monday, thank you very much. Pleasure. See you soon. Cheers. Uh, Pat Nevin with us uh, pretty much every Monday on the show. We'll be next week for Liverpool Man City, which we have live, by the way, half past four. If you can't get to a TV and you're looking for commentary, then we have the game live here on Off the Ball. Palace 3, Arsenal nil. They are now into added time at Salhurst Park. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland Women's National Football Team This is News Talk